What's up? What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the Taz Show. I appreciate you guys downloading this episode on Spotify or maybe Stitcher. Maybe utilizing Radio.com, the app or the website. Or maybe you're pulling the show in via Apple Podcasts. So thank you for doing that. I appreciate the love. You know that. So uh, we're rolling right along into, well, we're close to 700 episodes of the Taz Show, which I'm very proud of, and I want to thank all of you guys for the support over the years, and uh, pulling the show into your life means a lot to me, as you guys know. Uh, So this is some topics that I want to discuss in this episode. This is not like a reaction show. It's not a Taz Hall or nothing like that. Just some observations, I should say, that I noticed over the weekend and whatnot, so just wanted to talk on some of those things uh, real quick over here in this episode. So, you know, I um, uh, a couple of things. Um, there was a, a young lady. Uh, she wrestles. Uh, she's only wrestled a couple of years, I believe. And um, uh, she wrestles. Uh, I know she wrestles for Impact Wrestling, but she had made some comments over the weekend um, on Twitter. And a lot of people were going back and forth with her and whatnot. And it's more of a, she, you know, she she kind of talked about, how, I'm paraphrasing her whole thing. I, I, I don't follow her. I can't even tell you, like, the whole uh, the whole Twitter exchange, her with other people and stuff. But one of the things, and I sent the tweet out towards her, her way, Jordan Grace, I believe, is the name she works under, but she uses her real name, too. Um, so I'm a little confused on that. I don't need to know. It's fine. I mean, she, you know, it's fine. No big deal. It's not that I'm, uh, I'm not here to be. Uh, I'm not a news education educational show on wrestling. I'm just giving uh, opinions and stuff and thoughts through my experience. But so I sent a tweet her way, basically because it was something in there she mentioned about living the gimmick and meaning that again, paraphrasing her thoughts that uh, you know that you know the living the gimmick thing is kind of like there's no reason to do it. Someone, I think someone asked her on Twitter on Twitter. Like about uh, why do you think it is that that wrestlers like let's just say WWE wrestlers or what have you that newer wrestlers are starting to use their real names uh, on their Twitter accounts, meanwhile they're wrestling under a different name, so under a stage name, and um, I, I disagree with her reasoning behind it. She was more or less saying that I think wrestlers are getting past living the gimmick and it's a different era, like her era and the younger age, young twenties and stuff. Uh, the future of the business they, they they don't live the gimmick and I, I know she's i'm not putting words in her mouth like she's talking for everyone because she wasn't but she was just giving like an overview of the era so the thing is i disagree with her on a couple of levels um i disagree as far as the name goes um listen the reason why especially if it's wwe wrestlers or maybe wrestlers that think they're going to be in wwe soon the reason why they are not using um, they're using both names, their real name on their Twitter or social media account, and they're using their stage name is because they know once they go into a company and they're under contract uh, with a real company with TV penetration, that then once they're out of that company, that 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 stage name, that gimmick name, whatever it is, is going to stay with the company and they can't use it anymore. So what they're doing is very smart. They're utilizing their real name 
um, to build this following along with their gimmick name. I don't know if this is confusing. It's crystal clear in my brain, and it triggered me as soon as I saw her tweet the other day. Someone um, that I follow retweeted her or quoted tweeted her. I can't remember, and I saw it. Um, actually, it was a fan. No, one of the fan, one of the followers of the show of my show um, was saying something to her about um uh you know tell taz that from the 1990s taz that about living the gimmick like you know being sarcastic like because i lived the gimmick and and i firmly believe in living the gimmick i firmly believe in wrestlers living the gimmick as much as they can you know you it's tough because you don't want to insult people's intelligence and i can't sit here and tell you i'm an expert on living the gimmick on social media because I'm not. I when I was wrestling and I was the human suplex machine character and the, that Taz character, there was no social media, so I, I don't know how I would have handled it. To be honest with you, I I think that I probably would have stayed off it a lot to keep a mystique about myself. Um, but I do know about living the gimmick when you get to an arena or you're at a rest stop or at a hotel or at a bar near the town that the wrestling show was at. And I understand how to live the gimmick. Trust me, I did it for years, and and I and and I still do it a little bit here and there. It kind of sounds weird, but at certain locations or spots where I get into details, I do. I think it's very important. I think it helps keep that um, that feel about you as a performer and as a wrestler that you know you you are in you're so dialed into this. This is who you are. It's a persona of yourself it's um it's like an alter ego of yourself so i firmly believe in it and i think that when i see a young wrestler like her tweet something like that it where it's like i'm like wow i'm thinking young lady you know we're not like actors and actresses you know you get you, you, you're pro wrestlers you know you're performers yes you're, you're you're an entertainer yes but you're an athlete yes you're a hybrid of a stuntman an athlete and 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 and, and an actor <laughs> so but it, but you're not an actor. You're not a full blown actor. You you still have this character needs to be honed and built and grown and and utilize your social media to do that without insulting intel- and people's intelligence. I think she's being very transparent, which is fine. She's letting people know who she really is, and she feels like other people uh, in her generation are doing that, which they are. She's not wrong, but I do think there are many in her generation. That are are living the gimmick. There are several, you know. I mean, Velveteen Dream is a guy who really you know, stays in that lane as much as I can see. MJF, you know, he, uh, you know, I had him on that live tag show I did in Las Vegas, and he he's a guy who re- on social media really lives the gimmick. There's a bunch. There's a bunch of different guys and girls that do, but and there are some that do what, what, what she's saying that that they kind of break kayfabe completely. And there is no kayfabe. It's just like okay. Uh, it's all a show. It's all a work. <clears throat> and this is who I really am. But, you know, I have this stage name that when I walk through the ropes or I walk through a curtain and my music plays, then I become this persona. Look, you know what? That's fine. If that if that's going to bring her success, I hope she makes a billion dollars. I hope it works. But I, I don't think that's the right way to go about things. In my professional opinion, I do think that you have to find that that fine line of you know being the character that that he or she is along with not insulting the fans intelligence but yet work the fans a little bit because you know what this is like i tweeted the fans want to be worked 
That's part of the cool part, the fun part, the entertainment part. They want to be worked on TV, online, in the building, outside the arena. When you see them at a gas station and you're going to wrestle, they want to be worked on when they follow you on Twitter or Instagram. They do. They want to be worked. I mean, that's the cool, fun part about it. Now, I, I again, I'm not. I've, I apologize for stereotyping saying all fans in that way. I know that's not true. There are some fans that want complete transparency and want you to acknowledge it's a work. I'm a character, and this is my real name. I'm really John Doe. I'm not Mr. Wrestling 26, the killing machine. You know what I mean? They, they, <laughs> so, you know, like there is a fine line there. There really is. And I don't know. I, I, I do think, though, for the younger generation and a lot of people that I've talked to uh, offline, you know, from my generation that have interacted a lot with this newer generation in either wrestling schools and whatnot, or maybe at wrestling shows and promotions. Because I have friends that, that work for all the companies, so I mean, we talk a lot, and you know, either on, you know, in a text message or a phone call or what have you. And it's a lot of the same narrative that a lot of the younger current generation. It's almost as if like. Again, this is I, I hate to say it like this. I, I know it's not every young wrestler, but it's almost as if, as if some are trying to like reinvent the business. And you know what? I, I get that. I understand that. I mean, and the the older generations, are, you're gonna piss them off some way somehow. And I would say, as an overview, to hell with that. Do your shit. Don't worry about that. But you're not reinventing the business. Like <laughs> as long as there's a ring and and there's a ref and it's a work. And, and, you know, it's still, there's still, and people are paying, they know it's a show, but they know it's physical. I mean, there's still always that, that's what wrestling is. I mean, that's what the, that's what it is. That code's always going to be there. Look, I know, I remember like when I was in my prime and, you know, coming up and doing stuff as a wrestler in the business, especially during ECW, yo, I remember, man, like, like clearly, like the older generation, like were really pissed off at not just ECW, but a lot of wrestlers of my generation, the older guys were, because what we were doing was, and a lot of them would say this behind the scenes, you guys are killing the business. You guys are giving the business away. You guys are fucking killing it. You're killing it. You're killing it. What they meant was that we were basically, uh, you know, we, we were basically doing too much as far as the physicality and exposing the business too much. And, and it was at a point where it was like, what are you going to do? You're gonna, you guys are doing weapons. You guys are doing this shit. You know, you're hitting a million suplexes, guys dropping on their head. You know, you're doing all this, not just me, everybody. It's like, what are you going to do next? You're going to bring a shotgun to the ring and what you got to shoot a guy like in, in his back to beat him in a match. Is that what's next? Like, you know, because their generation, like there were less, less physical, less dangerous moves that guys were winning matches with. And they were keeping longevity in their bodies, which they were right. And and I can't speak for all the guys of my generation, but you know what? I, I knew they were right. And a lot of us knew why they were pissed that we were giving the business away too much and we were doing too much physicality. And we were, we were the generation that saw the show like a lot of athleticism in the business, like a lot of athleticism. And then the generation after us and after us, like even more and more athleticism. And today, these guys and girls today are insane athletes, like insane. Like they're, they're all like just tremendous athletes. You know, when I was coming up, not everybody was a great athlete. You know, in my prime, like not my generation, yeah, there was a lot of the guys that were, but not all, not all, not all at all. I mean, it, it, you know, and the generation before mine, a lot of them were just 
you know, big guys that were very smart in the ring, that were muscular. They had some athleticism, but they weren't exemplifying all of their athleticism. And then our generation started to do that more. And we started doing more physical stuff, especially with the ECW craze, with the weapons and stuff. And it was, that was real. And I wasn't a guy using a lot of weapons, as you guys know. The other guys in the company were. But, and it was just like, it, it wasn't just ECW. There was a lot of the, the, the renegade promotions that were doing violence and doing hardcore stuff. And, you know, so it was a thing in the, in the early 90s and stuff like that, into the mid-90s. It wasn't just ECW. We were just the guys that were, you know, as a brand that were, Doing it more and doing it often and really brought it to another level. But that pissed off a lot of that older generation. And I'm telling you, they they would say, I'd have matches with guys in ECW. I'm talking about early ECW, you know, early when it was Eastern Championship Wrestling. And I had guys, you know, veterans where I respected come up and say, Listen, you can't fucking go in there and work that stiff with guys and do that amount of suplexes and all this kind of shit. You, you can't do that because you're going to, you're going to kill the business. You're, you're doing too much. And I would, I'd say, I understand. I got you. I understand. I, I apologize. I'll figure it out. I'm just trying to get over. And, and I wouldn't, wasn't trying to be sneaky, but I, I, I knew, I knew it was working. You know what I mean? So that's why I, I, you know, I kept doing what I was doing. Um, I didn't think that these veterans are trying to hold me down or hold any of us down they just didn't want to see it that, you know, the business was getting to a point that maybe they couldn't keep making money because then you had to do more physicality as they were getting older. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm not, I don't mean to stereotype people. I'm just thinking out loud here. Maybe, maybe that's what it was. Point is, it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies. What my generation in its prime and the generation before us, that's what I'm trying to say. And it's not now what this current generation and the one before them and my generation, you know, all that shit. So I, I just feel like, you know, I feel like sometimes with some of the younger current talent, there's almost like a feel of, well, not with all of them. And it's unfair to say, but either they don't know, some of them don't know the history of the business, which I think is vital. You should know the history of the business. And because that's the people who came before you, that's the groundwork. Without those people laying that groundwork, you have no place to apply your craft. So I do think that it's important to do your homework and know the history of the business and respect the history of the business. And I think it's just if you're thinking you're going to reinvent the business or change the business because you're going to embrace the fans more on social media. Well, you know what? That might work. That might work. <clears throat> it's sure. I mean, a lot of fans love engagement on social media. You guys know on my Twitter or Instagram, a lot on Twitter, I try to engage with you guys as much as possible. And I'm not from this generation. I'm I'm a lot older. So, but I try to stay current and I try to, you know, promote my stuff that I'm doing and stuff. And and I and I also like to engage with a lot of the fans, you know. So most of the fans are really cool. Of course, you're gonna get some assholes here and there, but that's that's anywhere. Um, so I understand like that the younger generation is what they're trying, they're trying to, you know, probably, you know, carve out who they are and what they're doing. You know, I would say to them, worry about your own individualism and as a star and coming up in the business and, and don't worry about changing how the business is viewed or looked at, because I got to tell you the truth. In my opinion, I don't think the business today is looked at badly. I think you're younger, you're current, your generation right now to the guys and girls, you guys are in a good spot. The business is in a good spot right now. I mean, you got you got AEW fixing to go on big time TV with TNT with Turner. Okay, 
obviously all the WWE program and the, now the success of the WWE network with the tier system, another level, and the, the billion dollar deal, you know, multi year deal that Fox is doing with SmackDown and WWE, USA re upping with Raw. You know what? I mean, the NXT brand just blowing up. Uh, you know, it's like. Uh, uh, Ring of Honor is doing good business. Looks like Impact's doing okay. You know, obviously the business in Japan is great. In New Japan and all these other smaller companies. So the business is is a good thing right now. It's it's not you know it's not um, it's not a bad thing at all. You know what I mean? It's 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 not it, 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 it's good. So I would embrace that right now. I mean, if I was them, um, I would not I would not try to reinvent nothing. There's nothing wrong. You got major. Sports verticals, major league sports sports outlets like Fox Sports, like CBS Sports, like NBC, like ESPN, uh, uh, promoting and and going out and having on their websites, on their verticals, areas where you could read or watch stuff with pro wrestling, with you know from WWE and, and beyond. This is a great time to be a young pro wrestler. You know, so why would you try to change anything right now? I mean, maybe I'm overthinking it, and and I've been guilty of that, and I could be, but you know, I'm just saying, like, I, there's it's all good right now. If I got, I wish I was in my prime right now. I mean, there is so much, there is so much opportunity for these guys and girls to work. I mean, so it's great, and and there's there's a lot of wrestling schools all over the place. Yo, listen. I don't want to be that. I don't want to have like a get off my lawn moment. You know, like when I was coming up, just, you know, let me tell you something. Before I got trained by Johnny Rods in, in the late 80s, when it was like whatever, 86, 87, 1986, 87, I was trying to find a wrestling school before I, I stumbled upon Johnny Rods through my dad. God rest my dad's soul. My dad had, had a, a mutual friend who knew Johnny Rods in Brooklyn, you know, and, and that's how that all happened. But the thing was, yo, I wasn't initially, I don't know if I've ever said this <laughs> publicly. I'm sure I have. I've done so many fucking shows and I say so much shit out here that I'm sure I've said something like this. But I don't know if I've ever said this before, but like I, the, the, where I was really going to get trained was in Orange, Connecticut. Coincidentally enough, the word orange before I was grabbing orange as a gimmick. And it was with Dr. D. David Schultz. He had a school in Orange, Connecticut. And um, not far, far from I ninety five up in Connecticut, um, and that's where I was gonna I was gonna I was gonna you know basically travel back and forth you know a few days a week and save up gas money because I had no money I had a really shit car and and that's where I was gonna get trained and um, and at the time I was gonna go in as a tag team with Chris Chetty's brother Joe Chetty. And for a short time, you guys know we did the Tasmaniacs years ago for the for the Savoldis many years ago. But Joe was never like officially trained by anyone. Like I just showed him some stuff, and he had a great amateur wrestling background. He was a great a great judoka, so he understood you know how to bump and stuff as a as a judo player and stuff. And and so I would teach him different things with pro wrestling to incorporate. You know, so we were going to be a tag team. And oh god dang it! I never. I don't know if I've ever said this. I'm all excited to share this with you guys. And we were going to be called the Dark Siders. Yes, that's it. <laughs> two um two Italian guys from New York that are both under five ten. We we're going to be the Dark Siders. But yeah, we're going to wear like black velvet hoods and stuff like that. And we we're going to be the Dark Siders and get trained by uh by Doctor D. David Schultz. But what happened was uh Joe was a really good football player too. 
and he had some opportunities and and then then the, everything happened with the NFL with the scabs and stuff with the union I'm sorry the NFL players were on strike and Joe had opportunities and um and he was a really good running back in college and then he uh where did he go he he played as a scab I hate using that word but that's what they called it back then but he played f- a little bit for the Eagles a little bit for the Bills my Bills and I think that's it but so I he had Really, he wanted to push his football, you know, what he was doing with football. He didn't want to get hung up in pro wrestling training. So I was, like, upset. I'm like, oh, come on, dude. What the fuck? You know, because, you know, I was going to split the money with the driving with him. You know what I mean? I, You know, so that was part of the reason why I couldn't go to Dr. D. <laughs> so then it ended up that I, uh, you know, I was talking to my dad. I'm like, I, I got to figure this shit out here. I'm like, kind of, like, screwed here, you know? And then and then that's what happened with Johnny Rods. But it's no disrespect towards where I got trained. I loved where I got trained, but initially it was not supposed to be Johnny Rods. So that's a true story. Um, why I got into this topic right here, I don't even know. Oh, I know why. Because I was talking about how there's so many uh, I shouldn't say so many. There's a lot of good wrestling schools, not a great amount. There's a good amount in the United States I could speak on that you could get trained. So, and there are some that are, you got to be careful of because it's the, you know, it's people that haven't really been to the dance that are teaching you what it's like in the dance. Well, how do you know what it's like to be in the dance? If you've never been in the dance, that's how I look at it. I, uh, you know, I want to go to people who've been to the dance and were the main dance. So that's how you should look at your trainers, you know, as someone that, that really knows what they're doing. That's not a money grab. But back in the day, there wasn't as many schools. There was, there was, you know, Dr. D. David Schultz in Connecticut, Johnny Rods in Brooklyn, Larry Sharp in New Jersey with the Monster Factory. There was the Hearts, uh, you know, uh, up in uh, Stu Hart up in Canada, up in Calgary. Um, down in Texas, the Von Erichs, uh, they were doing stuff, Fritz and stuff. Uh, obviously, in Minneapolis with uh, with Ganya, you know, with, with Vern Ganya. So, you know, and um, so there was there were spots here and there, but like that that was it. Down in Florida, there was a couple of good schools, but you know, I'm sure there were other schools. Don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm. I didn't study all the schools except for the Northeast stuff because I just couldn't afford to go out west or go down south. I just didn't have the money. So. I'm just saying now it's a little bit different. You know, you could find a lot of good schools. So it's in in long form, what I'm saying is it's a good time to be a wrestler, you know, so because the business is hot, the business is making money. Um, who knows what's going to go on with this WWE, AEW stuff. It, you know, if, if it, if AEW does okay and they, there's a little, I don't want to say a rivalry, but there's some kind of a competition going on, that's only better for the young wrestlers. Why try to reinvent something that's going really well? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's all I'm saying. Um, but you know what? To each his own and shit. When I was 21, 22, they wasn't fucking anybody telling me what to do. <laughs> I kind of lived the way I want. I had respect, but I, I kind of lived the way I wanted to live. Meaning that, you know, my mindset, how I, I, what I should say is how I lived. Speaking of mindset, it's that time. Ah, uh, yes. Water break time, kids. Here we go. Ah, uh, do a little straw action. I got one of these fancy Dan bottles that the uh, the guys who get in on the bicycles, the men and women, that get on those fancy bikes that are like $6,000, and they fucking drive the bike cross country like for the weekend for fun and they got those cool like hydro flask bottles like i got one of those you know what i mean 
So just in case, because I need to be prepared for hydration on this show. All right, Taz Show, we'll be right back. I got more to say here um, about a couple things, and uh, it's going to be epic. Uh, I'm going to get into a little bit about Vince McMahon producing announcer, that style, that whole, and some misconceptions. Renee Young, going to talk about Renee Young. Uh, Taz All right, we're back here in the Taz Show. All right, we're uh, rock and rolling here. Just hitting you up with some topics that I want to talk about here. We're going to do another, drop another podcast later in the week, do a little Taz Hall later in the week. So keep your eyes on the Instagram at Taz Talk, T-A-Z-T-L-K, and we'll come at you. We'll do a little uh, little gimmick on there. And by the way, I told you, a little birdie was letting me know that as far as SummerSlam goes, you know, from Toronto, there might be a little bit of a, um, I don't know, one of those little shows after that big show that's on, like, national radio, streaming worldwide type thing. You didn't hear that from me. Fucking subtle right there. So anyways, uh, we'll get into that later on in about a week and a half or so. So uh, what's going on? So anyway, so uh, I saw on the, uh, the Twitter and I, I went on there and uh, the other day I was a little annoyed because... Um, Somebody and a lot of people defended her. Renee Young, you know, people are giving her a hard time. You know, she is one of the commentators on Monday Night Raw and worked for WWE for a long time. And Renee was getting a lot of shit from people on there, uh, on the Twitter. And she seems like she's been getting a lot of shit here and there. And some people aren't fond of her work. And, and that's fine. And, and listen, I'm going to tell you right out of the box. Okay, right out of the box. <sighs> Commentary. I've learned it's not just with wrestling. And I've said this before on my show here. Commentary, play-by-play and or color commentary, is an acquired taste. I don't care if you're watching football, basketball, baseball, collegiate wrestling, pro wrestling, MMA, whatever. It's an acquired taste. You might love a certain play-by-play person. I might despise the person. And that's fine. So everyone hears things different. Everyone has a different. It's like music. It really is. You know, I hey, I might like classic rock, and you might love like speed metal. I mean, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, and you might hate classic rock. And the next guy might say, "I love hip hop." Fuck all that. And the next guy might come and say, "Listen, I'm a smooth jazz guy. You guys don't know shit." You know what I mean? So it's like it, it really. <laughs> that's how. That's that's what an acquired taste is. It's what you hear. You know. So. Renee Young, she's got a massive fan base that love her work, and that she has some people that don't like her work. I could tell you from doing the gig for a lot of years for WWE and TNA as a color commentator, oh, geez, I had, I mean, it wasn't on the social media gimmick. Well, TNA a little bit was because it was a little bit later on in my career, but I had a lot of, you know, a lot of love, but then there were people that didn't like my work. I mean, it's it's the way it goes. It's It's an acquired taste. So I wanted to say that first and foremost about renee young or any commentator for that matter because it really is just it's what you hear it might sound different to you you might feel different about it than i feel about it or this person this guy or girl sound her tone his tone whatever you know so it really is an acquired taste so that's the first thing i just wanted to say um about that so what happened was Renee basically put a tweet out and said, here's the truth. I know I'm not great on commentary, but it's my job. I try to get better each week. People love to tell me how bad I am uh, as if I think I'm great at it. So I should just quit with a question mark. 
what would that say about me? With another question mark. Uh, not easy to learn a skill on a gigantic global TV show. And she's a zillion percent correct, okay? And I respect the shit out of her for that tweet. And I came back and I tweeted at her. I quote tweeted. I said 99.999999% of the folks would not only flop after one segment, but crap their pants in the process in that role. You bring a professional female perspective, which is needed to, uh, to the booth, along with playing off the guys in the chairs next to you perfectly. Keep doing what you're doing. You know, because, and then, of course, now I got a bunch of people coming at me saying about how Vince McMahon is telling the announcers what to say for three hours, and this is why she's bad, but this is why she's not bad, this is why this guy, and a lot of people are saying shit that they have no idea what they're talking about. So so I wanted to set the record straight here on a couple of things. As far as Vince McMahon talking to the announcers for three hours, that's wrong and bullshit and false. Any little negative adjective you want to think of, that's not what Vince does. And if you want to come at me and tell me anything about it, I did the job for shit over seven years, eight years, whatever, nine, eight years, whatever the hell it was. Every fucking week. Okay. That's not like a job you have seven, eight years that you're doing, you know, seasonally. Every week, kids. And traveled with several people, 13 other people, including me, uh, at a lot of times on Vince McMahon's plane. So I've been around Vince a lot in my career. And, and I miss those times. And I was lucky to be around him. And I learned from him. Okay. Was he a pain in the ass to? Be produced by on commentary Fuck yeah he was Did he talk to me or Michael Cole Or Joey Styles or JR for three hours Or two hours straight Smackdown was two hours no he didn't He didn't do that okay And anybody who's come forward that's Worked in that chair for Mick Foley Or me or Booker Or, or JBL or whoever No one's going to tell you that he talked To them for two hours straight or told them what to say for three hours straight or two hours. That's a load of malarkey. That's that's not what's happening. Okay, he's producing the announced talent. So a lot of folks don't know what that means. And how would you know what that means? Because you never did the job. So I'm not trying to be condescending or, or talk down, but some people get like they know what the fuck that is, and you've never done it. You've never been produced. I've been produced. <laughs> I'm still produced at times in radio. I mean, so when Vince, the, the, the way Vince produces the announced talent and the way most people do, it's just you give a line or two here and there because this is the, the, the skinny on this deal here. What happens is when you're in a chair and you're commentating, I don't care if it's you know mainstream sports or pro wrestling, whatever it is, when you're doing that, you're. This is where it gets tough to explain. You are. Mm, you're distant from what's happening. It's going to sound a little weird because you're in the segment. Your voice, your mindset, your emotions are all in the segment. So you need to be produced because this is a live action segment. This is a, a big arena with a bunch of people, just like a football game or a baseball game, and there's plays happen with physicality, and you're the narrator of this, along with the color commentator. So what happens is, at times, you need someone who's outside of the segment to produce you. 
That's why all pro sports broadcasters, sportscasters, whatever you want to call them, wrestling announcers, they are produced. Produced. Producing does not mean you talk nonstop to them, meaning the whole segment. That's not it. It's not a script either. You, now, where Vince, it gets a little tough to work with with the producing. A lot, a lot of times, he'll be a little wordy on his sentence. He'll give you a sentence that's a little long, and it gets a little difficult because you can't hear your partner because you're listening to him. And it's as sick as this sounds. I've mastered over my years of dealing with this. <laughs> Listening literally And I used to tell my wife this Like I feel like a wackadoo I literally can listen to one person With one ear while I'm listening to the other With the other ear Sounds fucking wacky I actually can do that Because that job trained me to do that Because sometimes Vince's sentence is a little bit long And I gotta listen to Michael Cole Because I gotta react to Michael Cole Just like he's gotta listen to me You know, I can't ignore him Or can't be distracted too much for too long To hear him so I can react to him So producing the announcers is tricky And like I said, Vince doesn't talk to the whole show Vince does talk to you a, a good amount Like each segment you'll hear him And then there's some segments where you don't hear him at all I mean, that that happens all the time There are some shows where things are going great He feels like it sounds great I've had shows where I don't hear Vince for about four or five segments Like a lot of shows And then I'll hear him for maybe a segment or two you know, or then during the break, he'll say, hey, you know, maybe go this route next time. You should have went this way or, hey, you went and did a good job there. I like the route you went on that story. That was good. You know, um, sometimes he can be healed. Sometimes he can get pissed at the announcers. Hey, you guys, uh, whatever, your fucking energy's not there. You got to pick it up. Let's go. The show just started and I don't like the energy. Let's bring this energy up. Come on, let's get the people up, you know, as far as people home. You know, that's the kind of shit. Like, I, so I, I really, you know, was it at times annoying? Yeah, it was. But the guy is not talking to you nonstop. And I got people on Twitter like, I fucking talk to you for three hours. You don't know what you're talking about. Shut up. Stop it. Stop. You haven't sat in a chair. Stop talking about shit you don't know what you're talking about. Seriously. Fucking annoying. Dang it. I mean, really. You can't. I'm a huge sports fan. I'm a huge sports supporter. I support all sports. I, I, I follow a ton of pro athletes on Twitter. I think I'm going to go at a guy uh, who was a pro athlete or a pro coach and tell him how he's coaching up the team wrong or tell a player, a pitcher, how he's pitching wrong or a batter who's in a slump. And I'm going to go on Twitter and say, this is what you're doing wrong. Do you dropping your fucking back shoulder and, and you're stepping in the bucket? Get the fuck out of here. I'd be embarrassed to do that. Who the hell am I to tell a pro athlete that? I, I This person lives this. <laughs> Let people live their jobs. Really? Like, it's just it's frustrating it, it, to people to tell me how Vince is producing talent. You have no idea. <laughs> no idea. You know what I mean? The, the most, pe- most people. And it was funny to see a lot of people had my back on Twitter. They were saying exactly what I'm saying. The fans, like, two fans, like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? This guy did the job for years. Like, are you going to tell him how Renee's being produced? Like, come on. You know? It's a hard job, guys. It's a. I've talked about this publicly a million times, and I had years of experience in the ring as a wrestler, as a trainer, as an agent. Renee Young hasn't had that, and Renee is yet in that chair, in confidence, doing her job, and she does a very good job, and I give her a lot of credit. I'm mentioning my history because I had all that history from the business and then go into the chair, and it was hard. 
and it was nerve wracking, especially the first like four or five months. And I started to get the hang of what was going on. It takes a long time. And I got to be honest, I'm, this is something that no one talks about. Like if you're just talking about Renee Young's commentary for a second, you know, she's never really done that. And she's never was a wrestler. And now you're throwing her in a three person booth. That is hard. If I had to learn, I learned in the WWE system how to be an announcer. Okay, not a wrestler, but as an announcer. And I told you before, I believe in the WWE announcing style and system. I do. Okay, I, that's how I learned, and I believe in it. And I'm telling you right now, if I had to be thrown in when I first started in a three-person booth, that would have been tough. Like, even tougher than it was with a two-person booth. So that's something that people don't talk about enough when it comes to somebody like Renee. Okay, that she's thrown into that, that she was thrown into a three-person booth. It's a lot more difficult. I promise you that. It's the truth. <laughs> and I have no dog in the fight here, guys. I don't need to come out here and, and defend anybody in WWE, uh, Renee Young or nothing. I'm, I'm just speaking on behalf as an announcer and how things are done and how the misconception is on how you're being produced. You know, um, I've been produced by Stephanie also. I, you know, I've been produced by JR. You know, really, and and you know, I it, it's it, in wrestling because it's the live action, just like football and just like baseball or whatever mainstream sport. I believe announcers need to. They might you might miss something. You need someone outside the segment. I'm really pulling back the curtain for you here. When you are a play-by-player color commentator on SmackDown or Raw or any other pro wrestling company that's doing TV, and you have announcers at the desk. They're in the segment. They're in the segment. You know, that's important. You know, that's important. Who's going to produce the AW announcers? That, that's what I want to know. That's a very important thing. You know, you, you, I, I really believe you need someone with experience. You need someone who, who I feel, this is my opinion, and I'm entitled to it. You need somebody uh, who, who knows, you know, who's lived it. There's plenty of people who've done announcing. Just because you've, you've been in the business a long time or know the business doesn't mean you can produce announcers. Doesn't mean you can't. But it's it's I you know it's just like well if I'm a a pro football if I own a pro football team okay American football if I own a pro football team and I have a really good quarterback a young quarterback uh, the Kansas City Chief has Chiefs have a guy named Pat Pat Mahomes Patrick Mahomes and I got Pat Mahomes and now I got a whole new coaching staff well don't I want to have a good quarterback coach for Pat Mahomes yes so when I hire that quarterback coach don't you think it should be someone that played quarterback just saying, right? I mean, usually quarterback coaches are guys who have experience playing quarterback. If you're going to go to professional wrestling school, don't you want to get trained by someone who is or was a professional wrestler? Yes. If you're going to go to be a professional wrestler in a wrestling school, I would think that your goal is to be a world champion one day. Well, I would think you should try and get trained by someone who's been a world champ or has history dealing with champions. Now, my point is you you want people with experience no matter what field it is. You know, really, if, if you're a college student and your major is computer science and you're in a class and a professor it was a was a, a biology major in college and has a degree uh, in, in some kind of sciences, but now you're in computer science and this guy knows a little bit about computers. Well, what the fuck is he going to teach me as a professor? He's the wrong guy. So I'm just saying you need to have that guidance of people who've been to the dance. 
And that's what I'm saying. Like, so with Vince McMahon, he's been an announcer for years. I know his father owned the company and he owned the company. Doesn't matter. He still was an announcer. You know, uh, JR, when he produced me and Michael Cole sometimes, he was great. He understood because of all his years of experience. Now, Steph, Stephanie wasn't an announcer, um, but she sat, you know, in the grill position a lot next to her dad while she was producing segments. And she learned a lot from her dad for a lot of years sitting next to her dad. So Steph didn't produce Michael Cole and I a ton. But when she did, she was, she was pretty good for someone who's never been an announcer. I got to give her credit. But she, Stephanie's a little bit of a different deal man because stephanie grew up in the business she was born in the business you know so it's a little bit of a different situation i'm not saying that you can't have someone who's good at producing announcers if they've never announced but i gotta tell you think of the quarterback coach thing you know I, i'm just telling you you gotta you, that's just important that's important especially for AEW because they have a couple of annou- uh, announcers not jr but the other two fellas that aren't as experienced so you definitely need someone producing them that 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 knows what they're doing so we'll see what happens. I mean, I know they're still evolving, but whatever. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I, didn't, I wasn't looking to get into like an AEW conversation. It just kind of morphed into that. But so thing is, listen, the the play-by-play or color commentating job in, in any wrestling company, especially WWE, because there is a lot of pressure on you, is a very difficult job. It's a very hard job. It's no fucking joke. Just because a guy is witty and can cut a promo doesn't mean he can be a good fucking color commentator in WWE. That's not how this works. So... I remember I told the story a few times. I remember when I started becoming a color commentator and I, I was doing several shows, The Rock came up to me at a building once you know, in the arena and he's like, I was at the announce desk doing a rehearsal and he said to me, you know, Rock was on top and and he's like, you know, dude, you, cause, you know, you, you're doing real good already and, you know, he goes, I wouldn't want to do this job. I'm like, dude, you, you cut great promos. You're the rock, man. You cut the great greatest promos in the business right now. He's like, dude, it's different, man. You know, come, sitting here and doing color commentary. He goes, I, I, I wouldn't want to do that. Uh, you know, I, I, that was flattering. He actually inspired me when he said that to me, the rock. You know, I don't think he realized that. I don't think his goal was to inspire me, but he did because I had so much respect for him and the way, you know, obviously now I didn't know. Back then, he was going to be this gigantic, successful blockbuster actor that he is. He's just ultra successful and he's earned it. And he deserves it. So, and he does it because of his looks and his great acting ability and his his great vernacular, the way he speaks, his vocabulary. He's you know, he's got he can talk, man. He can he's a communicator. So I had a I knew back then he was a great communicator because of his promo skills. And he's telling me how I'm learning and doing a job that he wouldn't want to do because it's like holy shit, this is hard. I, I never forget that. That was a really cool thing he said to me, and 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 it inspired me. You know what? I don't think I've ever told Rocky that, but he did inspire me, and and uh, inadvertently he did. So it's a very tough job, guys, and and it doesn't it doesn't get the credit it deserves. It's not easy. It's not easy. So you know, um, yeah, you know, some of you might say, well, geez, you're really hard. A lot of times on Mauro, you know, Ronaldo with NXT. Yeah, no, I have been uh, because it's a little bit of a different situation. You know, Mauro, I feel. He, you know, he has a lot of experience uh, calling pro wrestling, MMA, boxing, you know, everything. He's got – he's really worked hard, paid his dues. I'll be the first to admit that. I I, I respect what he's done, and I really mean that. Um, his style is just not my style. Sometimes I, I feel like he's – it's too much yelling, too gimmicky, and the yelling starts too early in the show for me, and it's a little too much over the top. But, hey, he doesn't work for me, so it's fine. Like I told you, it's an acquired taste. Um, some might love Mauro Ronaldo's style and some might not, you know, I, that's the way it goes. It's like anybody else. Um, 
you know, but I've never said that I don't respect his body of work and all the years he put in. I obviously do, and I know how tough tough the job is. So, uh, so that's the deal with that. But anyway, so that's it. I just wanted to come at you guys, talk a little bit stuff. If you're not subscribed to the podcast here, guys, make sure you subscribe. I give you a lot of content. We don't charge a dime up in this motherfucker here. So, you know, we do the right thing. We don't play games. Go to prowrestlingtees.com slash T-A-Z. Buy yourself a T-shirt. Don't be a schmuck. Summertime, beautiful summer gear on there. Buy a shirt. Buy a hat. Do something for yourself. I'm Taz. You're not. I'll talk to you during the week. Man. And to be honest, I don't even have